I will make them like snow. My name's written there on the page wide and fair in the book of God's kingdom. My name's written there. Oh, the beautiful city with its mansions of light. With its glorified beings in your garments of white, when evil things cometh to display what is fair, where the angels are watching, my name's written there. My name's written there on the page wide and fair in the book of God's kingdom. My name's written
Amen. Thank the Lord for a good song service. Thank the four young people again. What a blessing it is to hear them sing the songs of praise. I thank God for our young people. Before we ask Brother Ross to come, we're going to go back to the Lord's Prayer again. Ask that God's Spirit may be in this house, touching the hearts and ears of His people. We're also praying for the salvation of lost souls. Praying God will stir in this house this very evening. I want you to be praying for Brother Ross that the Lord would touch him. He may have the deliverance that he stands in need of. He may be touched by the Spirit himself. That's what I pray. Pray God would just give us a great night. Brother Jim, could you take us for a throne of grace, please? Amen. Brother Ross, you come preach what the Lord's laid on your heart. Bless you, Brother John. Thank you. Really enjoyed the good singing tonight. Appreciate that. Thank the Lord for this church. And I want to thank you for uh, the invitation to come and preach the Bible. Counted a great honor. I always love coming to... Uh, this church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, I, I hesitated there. I always call it Old Town. Uh, and Adelaide asked me on the way here, why do you always call this Old Town? I said, that's where it's at. Uh, now, I, she told me not to announce this. I'm not letting her shake hands. Okay, she's, she's had a kind of a cold or something for about the last week. And now, my, she asked before church tonight, because I've, this is, I've, I've done this for about a week because she begs to go to church or go to meetings and stuff. And I, she said, can I, can I shake hands tonight? I said, no, uh, you cannot. And uh, so she's not being rude. She just, uh, I guess I'm the one being rude. Uh, she is. She, I'm Dr. Law. And uh, now her Grammy's Dr. Grace. Uh, but, but I'm Dr. Law, and she, she does pretty good obeying. But anyway, she didn't want me to announce that, but I've embarrassed her so many times that she's just second nature now. So, If you would, turn in your Bibles tonight to Mark chapter 4. 
Mark chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said, one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to preach tonight a message titled, Christ in the Storm. As I read and meditated on this sacred passage of Holy Scripture, I couldn't help but apply it to my own life personally. And I also thought about the storms of life in a person's, uh, as they go the, through this uneven journey of life. I also thought about the storms and the trials that I believe are yet to come upon our nation, upon our country. You see, natural and spiritual storms are woven into the fabric of God's providence and the human condition. Ever since the fall of man, Adam, man has fallen prey to sin. So everyone is subject to the storm-tossed seas of a troubled existence. It was far worse when I was lost. The Bible says in Isaiah 57 verses 20 and 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And I remember so vividly, when my life was overwhelmed with guilt, when I was engulfed with sin and the mire of this world, and I was tossed like a ship without a sail, I was in darkness, I was without hope, 
without God, without Christ, until the power of God intervened. Until Jesus Christ saved my wretched soul and He came into my vessel and He spoke, Peace, be still. I can remember the day that I was saved, how glorious it was to have that burden of sin lifted. To realize that I was not going to bear the guilt of my sin. I wasn't going to die and go to hell. Because it troubled me day in and day out when the Lord was dealing with me that at any moment I was going to die in my sins and go to hell. That's a troubled existence. And I'm here to tell you tonight that if you are struggling and laboring with your sin and your guilt and your ungodliness, the only way you can have peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. I point you to Him as the only Savior of sinners. He died on the cross. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He rose again from the dead. And He's alive forevermore. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Him. You will never find peace in this world. But there is salvation to be had in Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee you and I can verify and testify that ever since the Lord saved me by His grace some 41 years ago, He has never failed me. He has never forsaken me. Even when I'm fearful, even when I am faithless and unbelieving, He never denies me. He abides in my vessel at all times and through all the storms of life. And I praise God for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He dwells in me tonight. Now the first thing we want to deal with is the details or the particulars of this account. What actually happened here? Well, you got to kind of go back and compare, and we're not, for sake of time, we're not going to go back into the book of Matthew. It's a parable, or a, not a parable, a, a, a parallel passage. But you got to think about what happened that day before they ever got on the ship to realize why the Lord, as a human being, God manifest in the flesh, the Word was made flesh, and He dwelled among us. He was all God and all man. And as a man, He got weary. Well, the Lord Jesus and the disciples had had an eventful day that day. In Matthew 8, you have some details of that day. In verses 1 through 4, Jesus healed a leper. Now, think about how magnificent that must have been for the disciples to see the Lord Jesus showing mercy and grace to an outcast, someone who physically was repulsive, who probably had a stench about him because of the the open sores of leprosy, and Jesus Christ saved him, healed him of that dreaded disease. 
It must have been so impressive. And you know that the Lord healed me of my spiritual leprosy. I was a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God, covered with filth. I was rotten to the core. And He saved me by His grace. He healed me by His grace. He also, that day, healed the centurion's servant of palsy. In Matthew 8, verses 5-13. through 13. What's remarkable about that is, all He had to do was say the word. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to go and talk to this person. He just willed it to be so. And he was healed. That same day, Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. By the way, Peter was married. He was not the first pope. Uh, he healed Peter's mother-in-law there in Matthew 8, verse 14 and 15. And then, as people saw what he was doing, they brought other people with all kinds of illnesses and diseases and sicknesses, and he healed them all. Now you talk about a lot of work going on in one day. Healing a leper. Healing somebody with palsy. Touching the, the, the fevered brow of Peter's mother-in-law and then healing all kinds of other diseases. That's the power of God manifested by the life of Jesus Christ. And to top all that off, He also taught the multitudes in parables. So He spent an entire day healing and then preaching. Now think about that, John. You know how you get on Sundays. I, I teach sun, the adult Sunday school class. I guess most people wouldn't call it teaching. It's probably more preaching. Uh, then I preach Sunday morning. I preach Sunday night. By the end of, uh, of Sunday night, I'm pretty washed out. Well, I can't even imagine, after doing all this, how our Lord in that human body must have felt. But I thought about this. The disciples had spent the entire day seeing the Lord do miracles. And they heard Him teach and preach with such power. And their faith must have been fed. Do you ever put yourself in the Bible and think about... What if I would have been there and I would have seen all those miracles? What if I would have been there and heard all the truth that He preached in those parables that day? They were in the presence of the Messiah, the King. They witnessed His majesty. They experienced His power. They saw His work. They were eyewitnesses to it. Well, as the day came to a close... Jesus instructed the disciples to enter into a ship and to pass over the Sea of Galilee. Now He had made such an impression that day that there were other disciples that got in other little ships and followed Him on this journey across the Sea of Galilee. Now at the time, now think about this. Now me, I probably would have thought, why does he want us to do this? It's getting dark. 
You know, why are we going to cross the Sea of Galilee at night? Can't we just wait till the morning? Does anybody ever say stuff like that? Uh, I, I probably would have thought that, all right? But the disciples had no idea what was coming next. They were just following the Lord. And to their credit, they did exactly what He told them to do. We're going to cross over. We're going to pass over to the other side. Jesus, as God manifest in the flesh, knew that a major storm was going to arise. He knows the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. He knew every particular, every detail. And He knew there was a storm on the horizon. What a valuable lesson to us. You and I really don't know what lies ahead. We can't even boast of tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We really don't know what storm may yet be awaiting us. But our Lord does. And as long as He abides in the vessel, we're safe. No matter what storms may arise in our lives. No matter what difficulties that you are going to have to face. And trials and afflictions that you're going to have to go through. Things that you may not fully understand. He does. And as long as He's with you, He'll get you to the other side. Now in this account, the humanity of Christ is displayed. And it reminds me that as a man, he identified with those he came to save. Do you realize the the condescension and humility of the Lord Jesus Christ? He's God Almighty. And yet he was willing to become a man. Because it was the only way that men could be saved. Is if he identified with us and became a man. And he experienced weariness. He was bone tired after a long day of ministry. He knew that a storm was coming. But he had no fear at all. He was able to... He got on board the ship, went to the hinder part, and he began to take a nap. He began to sleep. He was able to sleep as the ship was tossed and the water was coming on board ship. That's pretty deep sleep, isn't it? Well, the disciples feared for their lives. And I can imagine I would have been the same way. You know, uh, I can only envision... Lord, wait, wait, what's going on? Man, the, the water's coming in the ship. We're going to sink. Hey, wake up. Lord, don't you care? I mean, these guys were panic stricken. They questioned whether he cared for them. And I don't think, have you ever been awakened? You know, like if you're, you, you hit the snooze button and you you slept over and you're getting ready. You, you're late. You you know you're going to be late for work and you, all of a sudden you 
you wake up and you jump out of bed. I don't think the Lord did that. I think, because I think He just simply got up and as calm as could be, just said three simple words. Peace, be still. Then he rebuked, gently rebuked the disciples because of their lack of faith. And this was so powerful. The storm was so great. And his ability to still it with just three simple words caused them to recognize his majesty and they, be, they feared him. What the, can you believe what we've just witnessed? The Master, the King, our Lord. Even the winds and the waves obey Him. What an impression it must have left upon them that day. I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of this storm. Some of this is geographical, where, this, where the Sea of Galilee is located, so bear with me as I describe it. But the Sea of Galilee lies about 600 feet below sea level, near the northern end of the Jordan River. Mount Hermon rises 9,200 feet to the north, and strong northerly winds often plummet, come down from the upper Jordan Valley with great force. And when those northerly winds meet the warmer air over the Galilean basin, the intensity of a storm increases. Hitting the cliffs on the eastern shore, the winds swirl and twist, causing the waters beneath them to churn violently. And the fact that this came up so quickly with little warning makes these kind of storms all the more dangerous and frightening. Now here's what's interesting as I studied this. The Greek word for storm here is seismos. Think of that's where we get, that's how we measure earthquakes, uh, seismographs. And it literally means a great shaking. So you can picture this. These guys got on the boat in the darkness of night. They're out on the Sea of Galilee and they began to hear the winds howling and they began to hear the waters churning and there was such great force that the ship began to shake. And it started to be engulfed with water. Now I've never been on a, a little ship like that and have that done. I went, on a, I went on a cruise one time. My wife, bless her heart, she, she turned green. The very first day we're out on this, and it's a, this was a massive uh, cruise ship. That's the first time I ever raked prime rib and 
lobster tail in one meal. I'll never forget that. Uh, my dad, when I was a kid, we, I was a meat cutter, and we always ate the green meat, you know, stuff that was kind of kind of discolored and going, going. He never let us eat lobster at all. Well, that was a banner day for me when I ate lobster and prime rib in the same meal. Well, leading up to that, that meal, my wife got so sick, she had to go to the to the room, she said, honey, I, I'm not going to be able to make it. I, 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 and she just got seasick. And they, we eventually found some kind of stuff that helped her. But still, but I hate to tell you what I did. You know, I'm thinking prime rib and lobster tail. And I said, honey, you want me to stay here with you? She said, no, you go on. Okay, I said, I'll see you later. <laughs> now, I prayed for her and, and I went and ate. Well, the last night that we were there, there was a terrible storm. And I mean, you could see, they, they had the table set, and you could see the, the glasses just tipping back and forth on, on tables. And there were people, literally, running for the restrooms. Because they're, they're, they're dying, man. They're barfing all over the place. Didn't bother me a bit. I just went ahead and ate my meal. Uh, it didn't bother me. Now, maybe it was because my dad was in the Navy. I don't know. Uh, I wasn't in the Navy, but it just never bothered me a bit. But I can't imagine what it must have been like on a small ship like they were in. And having all that water come on board you got to remember who the men on this ship were. They were experienced fishermen. I guarantee you they'd seen storms at sea before. They had weathered other storms. And they probably did everything they could. But they were powerless against it. And they were, it's, the Bible says they were exceeding afraid for their lives. These guys thought, this is the end. You know, I got to thinking. Fierce storms often arise in our lives unexpectedly, without a whole lot of warning. And you know, we often forget that God's in sovereign control of all things. Even the storms of life. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Now it's easy to quote that when you got a full belly and everything's going pretty well. It's a lot harder when things are really rough. And I think it's during those times, those storms of life, we need to remember that everything that happens in time has been decreed by, by the sovereign will of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, verses 9 and 10, or chapter 46, 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning 
and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. It was God's pleasure. It was His will to allow this storm to come so quickly upon the Sea of Galilee. And you know, we need to learn how to react. Have you ever noticed that that the writers of Scripture often describe affliction as something that we should go through joyfully? Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. James chapter 1. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Remember, when the storms of life come, God has a purpose behind it. And He'll work all things after the counsel of His own will. It will be for His glory, and it will be ultimately for your good. Now, the perplexity of the disciples, they, they were confused. They were troubled. Now, you know, before you start throwing rocks at them, uh, try to walk a mile in their boat shoes, <laughs> if you will, or in their sandals. They, they, these guys are in it. They're in this storm. Well, as they watched the waters engulfing that little ship, and the fierce winds beating against them, they feared for their lives. They literally thought they were going to die, that that night would be their very last night. They were perplexed. They panicked, even to the point of questioning the Lord who loved them and cared for them more than anyone. Tells you something about our frailties. Our frailties are often exposed in trials. You see, we're ready to forget 10,000 mercies in the presence of a single difficulty. But before we get too self-righteous, how many times have we been perplexed in the midst of lesser storms? That were not life-threatening. How often have we questioned the love, the care, the leadership, the compassion of our Lord? How many times have we drifted in unbelief, doubting the Word of God and the powerful presence of Christ and questioned God and got bitter with God? I was reading an old Scottish preacher by the name of C.H. McIntosh. <laughs> I love that name. He said something that was really powerful. I'm going to read it for you. So Now, when I, t- when I say I'm going to read something, keep tuned in. Because this is, is really good. It's a lot better than what I could say. 
That's why I'm reading it to you. Here's what he said about unbelief. There is nothing more absurd and irrational than unbelief when we come to look at it calmly. In the scene before us, this absurdity is very apparent. For what could be more absurd than to suppose that the vessel could possibly sink with the Son of God on board? And yet this was just what they feared. It may be said that they did not just think of the Son of God at that moment. True. They thought of the storm, the waves, the filling vessel, the judging after, and judging after the manner of men. It seemed like it was a hopeless case. Thus it is the unbelieving heart ever reasons. Listen to this. It only looks at the circumstances and leaves God out. Faith, on the contrary, looks only at God and leaves the circumstances out. He said, we are so easily terrified. Every breath of wind, every wave, every cloud agitates and depresses us. Instead of calmly lying down beside our Lord, we're full of terror and perplexity. Instead of using the storm as an occasion for trusting Him, we make it an occasion for doubting Him. How often are we like that? The disciples should have remembered four things instead of being panicked. First of all, at the very outset of this, uh, this cruise, <laughs> this journey, the Lord told them they were going to pass to the other side. For they ever sat out on the, ver- the voyage. They should have remembered that. When all this was happening, the Lord, the King of glory, the one that healed the leper, healed the man with palsy, touched the fevered brow, of of Peter's mother-in-law and healed all those various diseases. He said, we're going to the other side. And dear saint of God, no matter what storms may arise, He's promised to take you all the way to glory. Don't doubt Him. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. That means so shall it be. They should have remembered that and so should you. Secondly, the Lord was with them. That should have sufficed. Our Lord is here. We're more than conquerors through Him that loved us and gave Himself for us. They should have thought, He's taken care of us every step of the way 
He's with us now. Thirdly, they should have seen that Jesus was at perfect peace. He wasn't panicked at all. In fact, Psalm 4 verse 8 says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. They should have saw how peaceful the Lord was. And then, I believe this is a fulfilled prophecy. As I got to studying this, I remembered a passage in Psalms. The Psalms had predicted that the Lord would deliver them. The promises in Psalm 89, verses 8 through 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. That's a promise made. In the Old Testament. And they were familiar with the Old Testament. Turn over to Psalm 107. I believe that this is a prophecy fulfilled here. Psalm 107. And see if this doesn't sound almost exactly like the account that we've studied tonight. Psalm 107, look at verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth up the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof, that mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. They are at their wit's end. Lord, don't you care about us? Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so He bringeth them unto their desired haven. All that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. If they would have known this, these promises and psalms, they would have had greater faith to trust the Lord. Maybe they should have recalled what God did at the Red Sea. In times of great trial and trouble and distress, always remember the Lord does care. God the Father cares. He chose you. He loved you with an everlasting love. His love is infinite and eternal and immutable. He has never loved you any more or any less than He did 
before the world began. How amazing is that? So no matter what storm you're going through, remember, God the Father does care. God the Son cares. He demonstrated it when He was willing to die for your sins. To die in your place. To shed His precious blood so that you could be made right before God. God the Spirit cares. He dwells in you. He enlightens your mind to the truth. He he leads you in the way that's true and right according to the Word of God. Don't forget God cares. See, these guys, they forgot that. And Jesus had to remind them in a very powerful way. And then think deeply upon the grace and compassion of God in your life. Start thinking about all the times that God has delivered you. When the storms were fierce and you were fearful. And He said, Peace, be still. You see, I really believe that in these last days, we're going to be tested. Perhaps unlike any generation before us. I don't know. You better learn to trust the Lord through the storm. Now, I don't believe that God's, that believers are going to go through the tribulation. But that doesn't mean we're going to be spared of tribulations and trials and persecutions. Yea, all, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This world is growing increasingly hostile. And I believe storms are brewing. I believe this summer... When Roe versus Wade is overturned, there are going to be cities all across America up in flames and riots. Because when tyrants don't get what they want, they turn to persecution. Nero blamed it on the Christians. And folks... I believe the powers that be are going to blame it on us. I pray that you're ready for the storms. And that you'll trust Him. And and be an example to your children and your grandchildren. When the storms come. That you're really living out the truth. Not just quoting it, but living it out. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Remember, if the Lord can give peace to that troubled sea and calm their hearts. I don't know what you may be going through, but he has the power 
to give you a calmness of spirit and a deep trust in Him. And I urge you to look to Him. Brother John, you come. Some time ago, we, several even in this own church family, saw a lot of heartache and a lot of hardship. You remember the message that we brought, weathering the storms. The only way that we can weather the storm is keep our eye on the Lord. Amen. That's Amen. you know that's just just like Peter. When Peter was walking on the water. He done well as long as he had his eyes on the Lord. Yes, sir. It's when he started focusing on that trouble, that big wave that was coming when he began to sink. And we're all like that, ain't we? We all need to remember that wave's going to come, but he's, he's going to be there for us. Amen. We just pray God will just continue to give us strength in these last days. Because, folks, we're going to need that kind of strength in these last days. Whether you realize it or not, listen. This world is setting her, setting her hooks, getting ready to focus upon God's children. There's all kinds of things in the works right now. Prison terms for pastors who preach against the sodomite lifestyle. Listen, folks, I want you to know something. We got to stand firm. We must stand. And know and understand this, that great shall be your reward on the other side. Amen. Brother Jim, you come and sing a song.